This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. We're 45 days into Joe Biden's presidency. We are 241 days away from the next election for governor of New Jersey, for mayor of New York City. Uh, I'm going to talk a little today about Bridgegate. It was a scandal that rocked New Jersey and the nation a few years ago. I was involved in that. So please stay around and listen to what I have to say. You won't be disappointed with that. Uh, There's a lot going on in New Jersey right now. There's always something important happening in New Jersey. In Edison, which is the state's fifth largest town, there's a growing frustration with delays in state law enforcement investigating a racist flyer in a local campaign. It happened over three years ago, uh, where someone, we still don't know exactly who, prosecutors still can't seem to solve this cold case. They sent out a, a disgusting mailer alleging that the Chinese and the Indians are taking over our town. Edison Council President Bob Deal is one of the local officials who wants prosecutors to step up, and he's frustrated that they haven't. Council President Deal will be joining me at 420 uh, to talk about uh, what is happening there, and you're not going to want to miss what he has to say. Uh, New Jersey voters overwhelmingly last November voted to legalize adult-use recreational marijuana, uh, but like many things, the devil is always in the details. And now the legislature is trying to fix a problem uh, that the current law prohibits police from notifying the parents of underage marijuana users until their second offense. So New Jersey State Senator Vin Gopal will join me to talk about his proposal to fix that. That's coming up at 435. You won't want to miss what Senator Gopal has to say either. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This week, the New Jersey legislature passed a bill that eliminates some mandatory minimum prison sentences for for some crimes as part of a national push for criminal justice reforms. It's very much uh, part of a dialogue in New Jersey and Washington all across the country. Uh, the New Jersey bill, it's now on Governor Murphy's desk to decide whether he wants to sign it or veto it. It eliminates mandatory minimums for an assortment of nonviolent offenses, some involving political corruption cases. So I have something to say today. And for those of you who read the New Jersey Globe, you know that I typically keep my opinions to myself. But today I have a very personal story and I want to share it with you. And, and since I'm fortunate that Governor Phil Murphy listens to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour, I'm glad he might be able to hear what I have to say. Nearly eight years ago, I made a huge mistake. I was working for Governor Christie at the Port Authority in 2013, and I played a major role in the realignment of lanes at the George Washington Bridge. It caused massive traffic jams in furtherance of the governor's reelection campaign. It was wrong. It was an error in judgment. Uh, it was a it was a huge error in judgment. And for that, I've I've accepted responsibility for my part. I've apologized and I've told the truth. And as many of you know, this was a this was a national news story. And this part is something I haven't talked about publicly. In January 2014, uh, I walked into the United States Attorney's office and I told them the truth about what happened to the bridge. 
And why did I go to federal prosecutors? It's because I was terrified that the state attorney general's office would conduct the investigation. As governor, Chris Christie ran that office. And I believe he would have put his thumb on the scale if he had the opportunity. He would have influenced the outcome. And I knew that in New Jersey, official misconduct cases at the state level carry a mandatory minimum sentence of five years. And the idea that this could happen as a result of a prosecution with political motivations, a prosecution with a predetermined outcome. Well, frankly, that, that scared the heck out of me. Later, my fears were validated when this so-called independent investigation conducted by a law firm that the governor hired to protect him, a law firm that had close political ties to him and who benefited financially through through his largesse, uh, a lawyer who had never interviewed any of the major players in what happened to the George Washington Bridge, he issued a report that absolved Chris Christie of any responsibility. That report, the Mastro report, has now largely been debunked. It was a whitewash. And my concern is that the not-so-independent investigation could have just as easily been the prosecution. And I worry about overzealous or biased prosecutors that stand in the way of justice. I worry about strategically underzealous prosecutors that impede justice. And and for me, there, there would have been no search for the truth by those prosecutors, no accurate disclosure of what happened at the George Washington Bridge in 2013. Instead, I think justice would have been replaced by a move to cover up the real story, uh, which was to protect one man's presidential ambitions. And we live in a democracy where we depend upon separate but equal branches of government that provide the citizenry with checks and balances. And and it's been said that a broken democracy is still the second best form of government on the planet. But when judges have their hands tied, when when judicial discretion in sentencing is removed from them because of a political agenda, it potentially allows an overzealous prosecutor or an underzealous prosecutor to have unchecked power. And, and I've learned that when you've seen one case, you've seen one case. Not every offense fits neatly into a box. New Jersey has a multitude of truly outstanding judges. The, the state's got an extraordinary appellate court system with some of the best and brightest making decisions. They're making these decisions based upon facts. And my personal experience, my story, tells me that judges should not have their hands tied. They need to be able to do their jobs. And many of the prosecutors are exceptional. Uh, They exercise tremendous integrity every day, but sometimes a thumb gets put on the scale. It's just the way things work. And sometimes prosecutors don't act in good faith. And they need that check and balance of a judiciary who are given discretion. And, and I, I should say this, this isn't about me. This is about a systemic abuse over mandatory minimum sentencing over the years in New Jersey and across the nation. But all I can offer to you is my personal experience. I was, I was fortunate. I had a great lawyer, 
is able to avoid a potentially overzealous prosecutor. I experienced a system that was fair with honest prosecutors and investigators. Uh, All they ever did was ask me to just tell the truth. And the federal judge assigned to the case was exceptional. Her hands were never tied by mandatory sentences. Uh, Nobody improperly influenced the process. And everyone, regardless of their position or their economic status or their race, everyone should get the same experience. Uh, I happen to think in this case, the New Jersey legislature got this one right. And so I say to Governor Murphy, please trust judges to do their jobs. Trust judges to do their jobs. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'm blessed to have a second chance. And you are listening to New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. And for those of you who are not political insiders, it's... It's hard to explain the significance of the organization line, uh, what it means to bracket with other candidates endorsed by a political party organization in an attempt to secure preferential placement on a ballot. And I'm not going to sit in judgment of whether that's right or wrong. The system's been placed for decades and decades, and it's produced some fairly good outcomes. But I want to talk about something that's happening right now in Hudson County, in one legislative district, an incumbent assemblyman. In fact, he's the majority whip of the New Jersey State Assembly. His name is Nicholas Chiaravallotti, and his political career is right now dangling by a thread. And you may ask, why is that? Because the mayor of Bayonne, Jimmy Davis, has decided he doesn't like Nicholas Chiaravallotti anymore. And in Hudson County, By tradition, the mayor gets to pick the city's assemblyman, not the voters, not even the full party, just just the mayor, just the one guy. Uh, It's how G.R. Velotti got there in the first place, uh, and it's why he's on the verge of getting dumped. And, you know, I'm now, this is my 48th year in New Jersey politics. I I like to think I've seen it all, especially in Hudson County, but, but this part's new. Hudson politicians have fallen out of favor with mayors before. In this case, Davis won't tell anyone what Chiara Velotti did, and Chiara Velotti is telling people he doesn't know what he did. Still, he's in danger of being tossed because, well, that's how things work. And without party support in Hudson County, you generally lose a primary. There's, But there's something else going on. A coalition of progressive groups of former candidates who have run without party support and have lost in primaries are asking a federal judge to end the practice of giving a preferential ballot position with lines and bracketing to those endorsed by county political parties. Uh, I don't know if they're going to win. It's not really my business to say if they should or they shouldn't. But the reality is that there's a very, very real challenge to organization lines and brackets in primary elections. And, and that's what makes the dumping of Chiara Velotti a little dangerous for party leaders. Uh, think of it this way. If you're driving down a road and you see a police car ahead of you, do you step on the brake or do you accelerate and tempt fate? So I think you slow down. I think you make sure that a speeding infraction doesn't have a seismic effect on your life. And as one party leader told me, this has enormous statewide implications. So this one is going to be worth watching. I will be back to speak with Edison Council President Bob Deal 
about a racist flyer in New Jersey's fifth largest town and what prosecutors are doing to solve that cold case. Uh, and at 535, I'll talk to one of the legislators, legislature's rising stars, someone who maybe will be governor someday, State Senator Vin Gopal, about his proposed fix to New Jersey's new law to legalize marijuana so that parents can find out if police find their underage uh, child using marijuana. Right now, they're not allowed to know, so you will not want to miss what he has to say. This is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at AutismSpeaks.org slash together. I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. BookandFilmGlobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes, it's all on BookandFilmGlobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Bob Deal has been a councilman in Edison, New Jersey, uh, the state's fifth largest town, more than 25 years. He's the council president. He's leading the charge to crack a a 40-month-old cold case involving a racist flyer in the 2017 election. Mr. Council President, welcome. How are you? Thank you, sir. I want to correct you, however. It's 20 years, not 25. 20. Okay. Well, that's... Maybe, 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 maybe we'll be back in five years. Then we'll see. Maybe, sir. Thank you. Uh, first of all, Mr. Council President, I know I know you attended a memorial service today for your friend, former Senator Peter Barnes. So please accept my my condolences on the community's loss. Thank you. It is it is a community loss. Uh, I served with Peter on the council for several years. Uh, we're neighbors. Our, our kids grew up together uh, a little bit uh, on a swim team together. Uh, I've known him for so long. It's just the most wonderful family, and we're all so heartbroken over it. Thank you, sir. It is hard. It is hard. So, so, Mr. Council President, in, in 2017, there was an anonymous mailer in a local election. It said, make Edison great again. It told voters, uh, Chinese and Indians are taking over our town. It, it targeted school board candidates of Chinese and Indian descent. I think the words deported were stamped over their photos What's happened since then? What's happened since that flyer came out? Well, um, you, you probably heard me say this before. We were we were shocked when it came out. I, I learned about it actually from a neighbor 
who said, what, what's going on here in Edison? And a lot goes on in Edison. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, I just came back from California. I just flew back from California. And on the news in California, they were talking about a racist incident in Edison. And I didn't know what she was talking about until I was able to see the flyer. And we were all shocked by it. And five days later at a council meeting, uh, we were uh, determined to find out who was responsible. And that's where it started. It was October 31st that we saw the flyer. Five days later, we had a council meeting. And we were all very much on the same page. We were going to find out who was responsible for this because it stained, it stained our town. It was, it was very unfair to our town. You know, our town is, is very diverse. It's very successful. It's a good town. It's a beautiful place to live, a great place to work or raise a family. The school system's outstanding. And to have this happen to us, to, to have this national embarrassment was something we weren't going to tolerate. We weren't going to deal with it. So, uh, what we did was we had a our local police department uh, investigate. That was the first thing that happened. And they were doing that for a couple of months. And after and I was in touch with our chief, Chief Tom Bryan, uh, on a regular basis. And all of a sudden, after a couple of months, our chief told us that the AG's office had uh, contacted his department and said that they were taking over. So they told him to stand uh, down effectively. They they told them to stand down. So I was actually at the time when I heard that I was kind of encouraged because I said, well, that's a good thing. This is a higher level of law enforcement, uh, not, not to disparage our own local department, but I thought they may have more resources and they would get to it um, that it would be taken care of. So when that happened, that's what we did. We, we stood down. And after a couple of months, we started I started asking the chief again, chief, hey, any status on on what's going on with this with this flyer and um, or the case. And he said, no, he says the the AG's office has said that it's under investigation or they're taking care of it and that they would only call us uh, when they needed to. It was kind of like, don't don't call us. We'll call you. Sure. And, and you haven't you haven't heard from them yet, right? You haven't. No, no, we have not. So we waited. We waited some more and we actually wrote two letters to the AG's office asking um, what is the status of the investigation. Uh, we did not uh, get a response. Uh, we passed a resolution in September of 2018, uh, a unanimous resolution passed by the Township Council, uh, asking the Attorney General to investigate and bring charges against those who are responsible. Um, but not, again, months go by, we don't hear anything. So then it was um, in 2019, that we formed uh, probably six months later after our resolution, uh, we formed a committee of the whole, which is an investigatory committee made up of council members. It's a subcommittee of the council. And you have some and, subpoena uh, power with that, right? We, we do have subpoena power. And we used that because again, what we did was we, we were going to address it ourselves. If, if we weren't, uh, if we weren't going to have any help or at least we didn't, see anybody helping us we said we were frustrated so we said we'll do it ourselves and uh, i have to say and i'm proud of the committee uh, for the amount of information that we were able to gather we we had several meetings uh, we had several people testify uh and we were able to gather a good deal of information over a, a period of time uh but now now we're looking for some help and i i said that the other day um we're looking for uh a and a law enforcement agency to help us. We, we're not professional law enforcement. We're not professional investigators. We're, we're a township council. 
uh, made up of educators and businessmen. Uh, this is not what we do full time. So that's what that's where we are right now. Where we are right now is we ha- we've gathered information. Uh, we want uh, we're looking for help from the attorney general's office. Um, and that's where we are. Have you spoken to the prosecutor, Yolanda Ciccone? Have you have you spoken to her about this? Uh, I sent uh, our prosecutor a letter um, uh, a little while ago asking for help. Uh, She responded and I did speak to her on the phone. She said that she wouldn't be able to tell me uh, much, but she kind of indicated to me that uh, it would either be taken care of or it would be investigated. I, I left the phone with an assurance a good feeling that uh, uh, it would be taken care of. So, and so I, have, I, I have the utmost respect for Madam Shikoni. So, if she told me that, uh, and she couldn't tell me anything, but she told me she kind of indicated that it would be handled. She was a, a judge of twenty years and, and has a stellar reputation. There's, there's no, uh, there's no doubt about that. Absolutely. A woman of integrity, a person of integrity and someone who I respect. And so when, when she tells me something, I believe it. So I heard I heard the tape. You, 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 I, I think you saw the New Jersey Globe report of it where mm-hmm. Councilman A.J. Patil accused two people of being the masterminds. Mahesh Bajia, he's the local Democratic chairman running for mayor, and, and Satish Pundi, a, a partner at, at what was once one of the most respected law firms in New Jersey, Will Lentz. Uh, this isn't partisan, right? I mean, it's like these are, these are all Democrats. Edison's a solidly Democratic town. So this, this isn't a partisan issue, is it? Well, I don't want to comment on uh, any individuals in, who may be uh, mentioned or implicated, uh, because one of the things we're trying to do at this point is we're trying to be careful not to interfere with any investigation that may be going on. So I, I'm not going to comment on that. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, what I what, I, what I've seen is this, and, and I uh, the, the Globe wrote about this this week that that in the same week in in October 2017 there were two remarkably similar campaign tricks one in Edison one in Hoboken they both targeted uh candidates of of south asian descent uh and neither of them have been solved neither of them you know the attorney general's office has not been able to crack any of these these cold cases do you do you see do you see the similarities between the two do you think they they maybe ought to be looked at as one case rather than as two separate investigations? Well, again, uh, I want to be careful not to say anything that might impede or interfere with the investigation that may be going on. So my opinion on what happened in another town, I'm not concerned with that. What I'm concerned with is that we've gathered information here in Edison. Uh, We're looking for some help and and we're not going to stop by the way. That's the other thing. And that is that, you know, this is now 40 months, as you said, it's, it's going on its fourth year. It's four years into it, and we've plotted along the best we can. But at, at this point, we're looking for the help to come help us. We've gathered the information. We're not going to stop, but can we please get some help? And that's, that's, been our, that's been what we've been saying these last couple weeks. You know, we have done our due diligence. We've done what we can. Can we please get some help in here and have somebody take over this case? And and what are the people? What are you hearing from your constituents? Are they they concerned about the uh, the stain on the town that, that people across New Jersey, across the country, are talking about this flyer? 
Well, it, what, what happens is when it happened in 2017, uh, there was a big uproar about it because, it, quite frankly, it was shocking. I've been involved in a number of campaigns over the past many, many years, and there are campaign flyers that are, uh, I'll say can be quite interesting, but this one was different. This one um, was dealing with race, and it was dealing with race in a deplorable way, um, and it had us. It was Edison. So when it happened, we were all outraged by it, all of us. Um, you know, we're so proud of our town, and we were outraged by it. But what happens over time, and I've said this too, is that newspapers yellow, uh, things that people are concerned about uh, after a period of time, they're not so concerned about it. Um, people lose interest. Um, and But we haven't. And that, again, credit to our committee and the people who have done the work on this. Uh, we we haven't lost interest because the outcry, especially up front, was so was so loud and and so out. The whole thing was so outrageous that um, we were not going to we were not going to sit still un- until we could bring the people responsible uh, to w- where it needed to be or with it uh, to justice or, or whatever you want to call it. They we needed to to bring this to an end. And one of the reasons is not only so to get the people involved, to, to have them be responsible for it and accountable. But the other thing is we don't want to allow this thing in town. You, it, sure. We always felt that if you can allow something like this to happen in your town, what happens is other people will think it's normal or okay. It's not okay. It's not okay in our town. And that's been how we've, we've uh, felt for the past four years almost. And that's how we feel now. And hopefully, again, hopefully this know, will come I'm, to an end for you, you very soon. I mean, it's, it's, we're, it's we're, been on for a asking, long time. We're asking, we're asking for help. And I appreciate you having me on today so I can make that plea publicly. Hey, we need some help here. No, and uh, we, we would certainly appreciate it. And I'm, I'm speaking with Edison Council President Robert Deal. Mr. Council President, thank you for coming on. I, I appreciate it and hope we'll have a chance to talk again soon. Thank you, uh, sir. Thank All you. Right, right now, if you're a parent and you're underage child is caught using marijuana in New Jersey. Once once the law takes effect, police are not allowed to tell you on their first offense. That's got some people upset. So I will be back to talk to one of the legislature's rising stars, State Senator Vin Gopal, about his proposed fix of New Jersey's law to legalize marijuana. So you will not want to miss that. This is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Glow Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. Old school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. 
It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I can hardly It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildson. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and I'm going to be joined by State Senator Vin Gopal. Uh, He is one of the rising stars in New Jersey politics. He's the Senate Majority Conference Leader, Chairman of the Senate Military and Veterans Affairs Committee. Uh, He was elected to the Senate to represent Central Jersey 2017. He defeated a three-term incumbent. Senator, how are you? Welcome. I think we might have a... A connection issue. Senator, are you there? Yes, David. Can you hear me? Yes. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Good. I'm sorry I didn't hear you before. Uh, hope hope all is well with you. Uh, so I want to I want to talk to you about the legalization of marijuana. Uh, voters approved it by an overwhelming margin in November. Uh, we're now we're now into March. Uh, the bill was passed to enable it. It's been cleaned up once we're looking at a, a second cleanup what's going on with with the legalization effort right now i think that uh, you're going to see a number of cleanups happening um i think what was really bad in this bill there's a lot of good pieces and i think there was just uh, a desire to get this bill done um and uh, the the senate blackhawks led by senator rice who i, I spoke to earlier this week um, you know, they were opposed to the parental notification piece, but I think there's been such an uproar. Uh, we did a call with 14 members of our black churches, Latino churches, clergy and pastors this past week were unanimously they want parental notification. I think it was a failure of the legislature uh, for missing that, myself included, and everybody who missed that. And, uh, and there should have been uh, that should have been taken out. So. Um, I'm hopeful now um, if you're under the age of 18 and your child or grandchild has a, a six pack or, or marijuana, there's nothing that goes into your permanent record, but the parents have a right to know. And so, so just to be clear, even with the legalization of marijuana, we're talking about adult use. It's never going to be OK for minors to, to do this, correct? Correct. And I don't think anyone who voted yes, like I did last November, intended for parents to not know when minors had cannabis. And so so the way the, the first fix was left, the way it is right now, police officers, they what happens? Police officer finds a minor and they are they're using marijuana or they're drinking. What would happen right now? Nothing. Right now they can't no, legally notify the parent or guardian, which is just crazy. And you're hearing from your constituents that is that's not acceptable? Overwhelmingly, black, brown, white, seniors, young, everybody is upset about this provision. I spoke to the Senate president on Friday. He was pleased to see that Senator Rice is on record. I believe it was Nikita's article in NJ Globe that said he's okay with this provision now because I think he's hearing it too. Everybody's hearing it that this is this has got to change immediately. And, and I, I saw Senator Doherty said in, in, in one of one of the Globe stories uh, 
that that the law was a bid to cut parents out of parenting. So this is is this just fixing it? And then, you know, once it's done, it's fixed and sort of no harm, no foul then. Uh, yeah, I mean, on this piece, I do think that we will have to there's a lot in this marijuana bill. And I think we're going to have to examine it in the in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, certainly the impact zone, certainly a lot of pieces of this that I think uh, we'll have to examine. And you're you're in the Senate leadership. What are you hearing from Governor Murphy's office? Is this is he supportive of this? Uh, they've been receptive. I've talked to the governor's office and been keeping them in the loop. Um, I really hope they'll they'll sign this. It's a very easy bill. Uh, I'm sure he's hearing about it just as anywhere else. What's interesting about this parental notification is I'm hearing a lot from Democrats angry about this. Progressives, liberals, conservatives, it doesn't matter who it is. This is pretty common sense. If you're under 18 and you're, you're, and you're caught with a six-pack of alcohol or some marijuana, the parents have a right to know. So what's the timeline? How quickly do you think it'll take the legislature to, to fix this problem? Uh, I'm hopeful that uh, it goes through committee, and uh, I ask Senator Sweeney to consider posting on the 25th, this month's voting session. Hopefully, I spoke to the speaker also. Both are receptive. Obviously, they want to see the language. They want to see how the, the black and Latino caucuses react. I, I, I personally called this past week. Almost every member of the Black and Latino caucuses in the Senate, um, I got through to most of them, and many are receptive, and I think they're hearing it too. And that just just for for those that are that are listening to this show, and by the way, I'm speaking with State Senator Vin Gopal of of Monmouth County. Uh, for those listening, that's not a that's not a long time as legislative time goes. That's actually fairly expeditious, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's important. And I, listen, I'm really honest about this. I miss this uh, completely. And I think other legislators did, too. And we need to own up to it, take responsibility and fix it ASAP. So let me, let me move to another topic. You are you are uh, you are one of uh, uh, just two South Asian Americans in the state legislature. You're There's you know, three, uh, three, three. And Apologies to 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 freshman assemblyman Sterling Stanley, who who was just elected, and raised the numbers still still far below the percentage of of Asian Americans that live in New Jersey. But but you're a leader in the community, and I assume you've been following what's what's happening and what happened in Hoboken, what happened in in Edison. Uh, how did how did it make you feel when you when you saw these flyers? Very upset. Um, very upset. It's twenty twenty. And now 2021, and we've moved past a lot of it, and uh, it was very upsetting. I remember talking to Mayor Robbie Bala at the time in Hoboken, and uh, pretty disgraceful. Which should the should the attorney if the attorney general is not already investigating this, should he? Yes, I believe that uh, this needs to be. You know, look, I, I'm following it. It's obviously not my county, not my district, but I'm following it. Uh, I'm I'm reading some reports that. Uh, there's a lack of clarity if it was done purposely or if it was done by um, done intentionally. Um, whatever it is, I think the public has a right, just as they do in Hoboken. Uh, in Edison, they have a responsibility, and, and law enforcement or whomever need to get to the bottom of it and and, and determine who did this because it's uh, it's clearly illegal. And I'd like to talk to you talk to you a little bit about politics. I know that you are you know you are you are you are like me, a little bit of a political junkie. So, so I know you're watching campaigns all over the state. 
What's your take on the governor's race right now? Where where do you think Governor Murphy is positioned to getting reelected? I think the the governor did a very good job in March and April. Uh, I think he his challenge uh, now is you've got a lot of small business owners upset. You've got a lot of uh, you know independent contractors mad about uh, clarity that they can't always get. I think the governor's challenge in the next three four months is if he can get. The majority of New Jerseyans who want to be vaccinated, vaccinated before the summer starts. If the summer looks close to normalcy, if indoor dining and a lot of these things get close to 100 percent, I think he's he will cruise to reelection. I think if he's in a place in September or October where he's still facing a lot of these challenges, he's, he's going to be in trouble. And I'm, I'm speaking with State Senator Vin Gopal, the, the majority conference leader in the New Jersey Senate. Uh one of the things, and I know, I know, I say this a lot. I'm sure you've heard me say it a lot. But New Jersey is one of the bluest states in the country. Yet New Jersey has not reelected a Democratic governor in 48 years. Uh, why is it that that a blue state like New Jersey seems to be entirely comfortable with a Republican governor? Well, I think this year is going to be interesting. I think the demographics of the state have changed in the last 10 years. I actually think COVID has not helped Republicans as far as people moving into the states. We've, we've seen uh, modeling that's shown a large number of New Yorkers have come into uh, North Jersey, Central Jersey. I know the real estate market here. So you're seeing more Democrats move to New Jersey. We've also seen a huge registration jump from 2009 to 2021 when when chris christie won in 2009 he narrowly won against a governor corzine who had a lot of problems in his own party um, and chris christie was a, a very talented politician he spent a decade building relationships and he still narrowly won uh, i think that jack Chitterelli is going to have a much harder route uh, there's a million more democrats now uh, and he's he's I don't know disrespect to Assemblyman Chitterelli. I don't know him well, but he certainly know Chris Christie as far as political ability. So uh, I think uh, we, and, we and will all count Governor, our blessings for that. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> in some ways. Yes. Um, but but Governor Murphy has also done you know, he had the event today with Senate President Sweeney. Their legislature and him are working very well together these last several months on the Democratic side. So um, it seems like he's he's putting everything together. And the county that you come from, Monmouth County, I mean, that was that was bedrock Republican for, you know, since 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 the time of Abraham Lincoln. I mean, the Democratic victories have been few and far between, maybe during Watergate and a couple other times. But but now this county, it it seems like it's trending in your direction. You've had a lot of gains on the local level, haven't you? How do you how do you how do you see Monmouth County 10 years from now? You know, Monmouth County is still a Republican county. It's still a county that Donald Trump won. We did see a difference. Trump won the county four years ago by about 30,000, and this time he won by about 11,000. So we're still the challenge for Democrats at the state and national levels, no different than what they face in Michigan and Pennsylvania, is we have a lot of working class white voters across the Bay Shore that are voting Republican in Hazlitt and Keensburg and Union Beach, those places. So if the Democratic Party brand is able to get those people back, I do think Republicans will have a tough time here. And, and I want to ask you, I, I, I know 
during the, the height of COVID when, when there were there were tremendous tragedies at the state's veterans' homes. And, and I know you, you, you and, and some of your colleagues stood up for, for the veterans and, and, and made a lot of noise and affected some change. So, you know, on behalf of those who serve, thank you for that. But, but where does it stand now? Have, has, has state government fixed the problems at the, at the state-run nursing homes for our veterans? There's still more that needs to be done on accountability. I've had a lot of good um, conversations with the acting adjunct general, um, who's a Monmouth County resident, and she's she's definitely been very transparent. Uh, the Senate Veterans Committee, as well as Chairman Vitale and the Health Committee, uh, we're getting regular reports of how many COVID cases are in there, what they're doing to address it, what they're doing to vaccinate their employees. So there has been an extraordinary amount of transparency we've seen the last few months that didn't exist prior. The challenge for them is that a lot of people were let go, and now they have to make sure that the folks getting in there are eminently qualified and capable and are going to continue to be transparent to the family members uh, of those veterans who are resigning there. I'm speaking with State Senator Vin Gopal, who has generously agreed to, to let us go to break, and he'll be back with us. Uh, so, so, Senator, just, just stay on, and we'll, we'll be right back with you. This is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Glow Power Hour on 77 WABC. I always value books and films and good TV, but now, during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, Actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I am speaking with Senate Majority Conference Leader Vin Gopal uh, of Monmouth County. Uh, Senator, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. So one of the things I want to ask you, I, I, I see it as I watch the New Jersey Senate. First of all, you in particular, but a number of your colleagues, it seems like Trenton doesn't have the problem that Washington has, that there's a there's a dialogue between Democrats and Republicans that you're able to sit and talk through issues. You may not you may not always agree, but you, you seem to you seem to be able to talk through things and get along with them there. Is that a is, should New Jersey be a, a national model? I think so. And I give a lot of credit to Senate President Sweeney, Senator Kane, uh, Assemblyman Bramnick and and uh, Speaker Coughlin, because they've all been uh, uh, very good on that. Um, I, I look at a lot of my Republican colleagues like Senator Orho, Senator Bateman, Senator Brown, both of whom are leaving, Senator Corrado. Like I genuinely enjoy their company. I enjoy my conversations with them. We won't always agree, but we go back and forth. And I, I do think it should be a model that Washington should mirror. And uh, we have to get along, at least be able to respect each other. 
And there's a benefit to that, too, I, I guess. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to talk to you about some of the Senate races, but but I don't hear a clamoring from Republicans in Monmouth County of, oh, we got to we got to beat Gopal. It seems, you know, it, it seems that you've you've done a lot of work to to make them not not be not be unhappy that you're there representing their interest in some of these issues. I think it's up to every elected official, whether it's a Democratic mayor or Republican mayor. I treat them the same. I work with them the same. I make sure uh, we get them the help and support they need. And I think that's that's the way government should work. And there, there's there's a lot of discussion right now about organization lines, bracketing favorable ballot positions for those who have been endorsed by a political party. You were a Democratic county chair uh, before you were a senator. Do, should Should the lines continue? You know, that's a, it's a conversation that keeps coming up. The counting line, I think, um, is right now in the courts. And I don't think it makes sense if the entire state uh, is going to is going to have different counties that have it. For example, if Monmouth County decides to have county lines, but Bergen doesn't. I mean, one of the benefits we had is we were able to get gubernatorial candidates and Senate candidates come to Monmouth, learn about our local uh, issues or challenges, what's going on at the shoreline or tourism. It's either got to be the whole state or nobody. Uh, and that's what I try to talk with a lot of these progressive groups when they try to go town by town or county by county. It's, it's not the right way. I think the lawsuit way is a good way for them to take. And if the lawsuit comes back and, and uh, the courts feel that the line is, is uh, not legal, then I'll totally respect and support that. But I do think it needs to be done on a statewide basis. It can't be done county by county. So, so go back and put on your, your old hat as a, as a political operative and as a party leader. What are, your, what are your reads on Democrats' chances of picking up seats? District 2, where, where Republican Chris Brown is, is not seeking re-election. Uh, you, Vince Mazio is running there. What, uh, how do you see his chances? Is that a, is that a, do you expect Democrats to pick that seat up? I would be, yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if uh, when Senator Brown was running, I thought it was going to be very, very tough. The fact that he's out of the race, Vince Mazio has been a proven vote getter. Um, I think the Republicans, I, I don't even know who's running against him. It's a, a Polonista, I think, is the candidate. Palestina, yes. Um, yeah, so uh, I, he's no Chris Brown. I don't know him, but I, I know that Vince Mazio's numbers, his polling is one of the best in the state. So I think it's going to be very, very competitive. And during your first year in the Senate, you were a Democrat, and uh, Senator Dawn Adiego was a was a Republican. She switched parties at the beginning of, of 2019. Uh, how do you handicap her chances of winning? She's running in a district as a Democrat for the first time in a district that hasn't elected a Democrat since 1973. How do you how do you handicap her chances? Huge loss for the Republicans uh, and Ryan Peters, probably one of the most likable, capable, smartest legislators out there. Uh, and him out of that race uh, gives Senator Adiego's chances a big advantage. I think that she's going to do well. She's uh, done. She's done well. She's been a moderate voice. Uh, and I think she she gets Burlington County in and out. I think that Democrats got very lucky with Ryan Peters uh, not running again. And that was that was probably if 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 my recollection is correct, that is the part of the state where you cut your political teeth, right? That's where your first camp, one of the first campaigns you worked on. Herb Conaway, Herb Conaway, yes, yes. So you know the area fairly well. I do. And, and in it's, districts, it's a moderate. It's a moderate area that's trending Democrat. We've seen it. 
In District 16, I mean, again, Democrats have not won a Senate seat there since 1902, and now Andrew Zwicker is running. Kip Bateman is is retiring. It's it's the end of an era. What do you, he's running against Michael Pappas, a former Republican congressman. How do you see that race going? I mean, you just got to look at Assemblyman Zwicker's last few election results. His numbers are crazy. I used to joke in 2015, District 11, we had all the money and resources, and we won. And then there's this guy in District 16 who had no money and was able to win, and uh, Andrew Zwicker. And now we've seen the last several turns what he's done. And this past election, he won by over 5,000 votes in a, in a competitive district. I think he works that district so hard, it's going to be really difficult for Republicans to beat him. So you think Democrats are going to come back next year with a with a Democratic governor and with better numbers in the legislature than you have now? I mean, it seems like that's your take. I I think so. And I I wouldn't totally discount District 21. I know the the Democrats, uh, John Brand makes a tough competitor, but there's a lot of people from New York moving into that district. And I think the demographics have changed a good deal uh, during COVID-19. So uh, it's just one I wouldn't put away yet. And you're watching, I don't know if the Democrats are going to be competitive there in the general, but you're watching this primary for the state Senate between Holly Shapizzi and, and Bob Off. Uh, what's, just just from, from a few miles away, a few miles south, what, what's your take on that race? I mean, I, I, it seems every other day whether Bob Off is running or not, it's hard to, hard to tell. But I think, you know, this, is, this doesn't help Holly, me as a Democrat saying this, but she's a... She's a fighter. I think she's been gutsy and just watching her go through this process. Uh, you know, I think anybody should just uh, an elected office should have respect for her. And and she didn't wait around. And she she uh, she's been, you know, very outspoken legislator. No disrespect to uh, Democrats or Republicans in either houses. But you see Holly Shapizzi's name a lot out there. And she seems to be trying. I don't agree with her on a lot of issues. We vote differently, but she definitely seems to be effective for her her constituents. Senator Ben Gopal, thank you again for joining me. I mean, one, you know, whether 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 I agree with you or not, you are always frank and honest, and you answer the questions uh, uh, honestly. So, thank you for joining me. I hope you'll be back again. Thank you so much for having me. I really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you, and thank you, everybody. I'll be back next week. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. Classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I could hardly wait.